welcome to the Rev Sarah Shares podcast, where we explore the story of Stephen from the book of Acts, which is a lectionary reading for this week. His loyalty to Jesus the King is second to none, but what does loyalty mean in our lives today? We also take a wee daunder into the kingdom and ponder where God lives and what heaven might be like. So it's a multifaceted royal theme in worship, but it doesn't have anything to do with King Charles III. We did include something in the wider service for that, but it's not in the podcast. So what follows is what was the all-age message, reflecting on where God lives, and then Tim brings us the reading from Acts, and then the reflection on that text, and it all hopefully comes together. Thank you for listening. For a moment, I wanted us to think about where does God live Now, I know there's easy answers to that, and you might say anywhere, everywhere, and so on and so forth. But I wanted us just to think about it for a moment. And I'm hoping when I get round to doing this with the young folk that I will also have a tent here for them. And I meant to bring it for the recording, but me being me, I've left it at home. So imagine, if you will, a tent. So where do birds live? Well, in nests. Where do polar bears live? in the Arctic. Where would teenagers like to live? In their beds, at least if mine are anything to go by. And then I wondered about where people live. And straight away the answer that came was houses. But then actually when you start to think about that, think about all the different kinds of houses. And I'm sure I've missed some, but mansions, palaces, bungalows, detached, semi-detached, flats, apartments, farms, converted barns, churches, Um, estates, the streets, shanty towns and ghettos, tents and caravans, shop doorways, hostels, hotels, B&Bs. Actually, we live in all sorts of places, some better than others. I could even perhaps have included prisons and hospitals and nursing homes and care homes. And suddenly you realise actually it's not quite as simple a question as you might think. Where does God live? Of course, God is everywhere, in all things, through all things, and so on. But throughout the Bible, we read that the presence of God was found in pillars of clouds and pillars of fire, in a tent, upon a mountain, in a temple, in a stable, in a family home, in a tomb, walking on water, at the dinner table, in a boat, in a garden. Presence of God, some through the personhood of Jesus. This story that we're going to look at today is about an incredibly brave apostle, a deacon called Stephen. Not one of the twelve, but a unique and special man who spoke up for God. He reminded the priests and the temple leaders that though there was a temple, and a tent, he goes back to the tent, heaven is God's home. Heaven is my throne, says the Lord, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house would you build for me? Where is the place for me to live in? Did I not make myself, did I not, did not I myself make all these things? Sorry about that. Did not I myself make all these things? And then Stephen sees Jesus standing at the right-hand side of God. And can you imagine getting a glimpse of heaven 
in that moment. And throughout scripture, there are glimpses of heaven included in the text. And some of them really do make the mind boggle when you read them. And we don't know what heaven will look like, but we all have an idea of what it might be, or we've heard other people talking about it. Maybe if you watched the coronation, you might have some kind of gold, jewel, Disney-esque vision of the kingdom. Maybe heaven for you is like some winding path through the trees to the water's edge, you know, that nature image. Maybe heaven for you is like a golf course or perhaps a music concert that just goes on and on and on. After all, many people do think about angels singing and harps and so on. We don't know, obviously, what heaven looks like. We do know that God is there. And I can assure you that heaven will be an experience that we can see, feel, touch, know. For Jesus came back as a human being. We saw his scars. He ate fish, but he wasn't the same. People didn't immediately recognize him. So there is something different about the resurrected body. In Revelation, John writes that the words, writes those words of God that says that he will walk with his people. And as we approach Pentecost, we are reminded that God lives within us. Jesus promises us his helper. So just like we have our home, we move about, we interact with others, we go to work, we go to school, we go to university, we go to the charity shops, we volunteer, we do so much with our lives. And folks, that means that this building that we are in, that I have these services in with you, it's just a building. It might be special, but God has no need of a building, but he does have a need for people. Acts chapter 7 verses 44 to 60 The continuation of Stephen's address to the Sanhedrin Our ancestors had the tent of God's presence with them in the desert. It had been made as God had told Moses to make it, according to the pattern that Moses had been shown. Later on, our ancestors who received the tent from their fathers carried it with them when they went with Joshua and took over the land from the nations. Tim is now going to bring us our reading the story of Stephen from the book of Acts. He won God's favour and asked God to allow him to provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built him a house. But the Most High God does not live in houses built by human hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, says the Lord, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house would you build for me? Where is the place for me to live in? Did not I myself make all these things? How stubborn you are, Stephen went on to say. How heathen your hearts, how deaf you are to God's message. You are just like your ancestors. You too have always resisted the Holy Spirit. Was there any prophet that your ancestors did not persecute? They killed God's messengers, who long ago announced the coming of his righteous servant, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You are the ones who received God's law, that was handed down by angels, yet you have not obeyed it. As the members of the council listened to Stephen, they became furious and ground their teeth at him in anger. 
But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw God's glory and Jesus standing at the right side of God. Look, he said, I see heaven opened and the Son of Man standing at the right side of God. With a loud cry, the council members covered their ears with their hands. Then they all rushed at him at once, threw him out of the city and stoned him. The witnesses left their cloaks in the care of a young man named Saul. They kept on stoning Stephen as he called out to the Lord, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not remember this sin against them. He said this and died. Thank you, Tim, for sharing our reading. And it's just part of the story of Stephen. I do encourage you to go into Acts and read the whole of it. I entitled this reflection, Loyalty to the King, and I can assure you that the title and the theme of this service was chosen before there was any word that the public would be invited to swear an oath of allegiance to the King. And I am not in any way making a comment on whether one should or shouldn't have taken part in that or the rights or wrongs of such a thing. But I am speaking about loyalty to the King, um, which is a form of showing allegiance. So I wanted us in the course of our service today to consider two elements to the kingdom of God um, and the idea that Jesus is our king. And the first part was the idea of place or location uh, that we looked at um, earlier in the service through the all age message. I mean, I grew up with the fairy tales, most of which have been taken over by Disney, but I grew up with the fairy tales of, you know, the Prince Charming and warring kingdoms and wicked stepmothers and beautiful princesses or damsels in distress. There's a good and evil storyline and, you know, for a wee while it looks like evil's going to win and then God, uh, good story comes along and everything gets sorted out. But often in the run-up we go through something quite dramatic or traumatic. It's fair to believe that there is a place for the kingdom of God. The author of Revelation speaks of a new heaven and a new earth, of tangible elements like rivers and trees, and of God walking with us. And the images kind of reflect the Garden of Eden and that sense where God walks with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And like all good tales, there is that epic battle of good and evil. And we've seen that throughout our Lent stories and into Holy Week through Good Friday and obviously into Easter Sunday, an epic tale of good and evil. We are, however, also looking at the human element in this story. We are sometimes naive to think that just because we're all Christians, we should get along. It is the dream, of course, and one day in our new heaven and a new earth, it will be reality. And surely if we could, then the battle lines being drawn between congregations, between ministers, between the church and her different elements would be wiped out if we could all just get along. It would be so much easier. But the story of Stephen actually highlights for us that the new church had its issues. 
We often hold up the Church of the New Testament as some kind of ideal that if we could just go back to the way that it was done then, then we would fix all the problems of the church. But you know what? The new church, the early church, struggled just as much with the human dynamic as the church of today does. If we could be more like them, we wouldn't have any issues. And I've heard people say this. We'd have preachers, we'd have servers, we'd have the upfront folks, we'd have behind the scenes folks, and nobody would go without. We would share everything and the labor would be shared out. But a close reading of the New Testament shows that human beings are consistent. We are consistently stubborn, twisted, or to use a good Scottish word, thrown. Call it what you will. Stephen was called to be a deacon. That meant he was meant to be helping others and serving others. And yet somehow he captures the, the, the attention of the religious leaders at the time. And so much so that in kind of similar similarities to the story of Jesus, people are found to make false claims about Stephen's blasphemy and he ends up on trial. Um, and um, yeah, you see some of the uh, some of how it comes together. Perhaps unlike Jesus, Stephen isn't quiet. He does not go into this good night quietly. He preaches, he takes the opportunity to share the message and boy, does he preach it. Um, even though he must know that he is signing his own death warrant with these words, he just gives it all he's got. A bit like John the Baptist, you brood of vipers. Stephen doesn't miss and hit the wall. He just gives it loudly. It makes me wonder if I need to up my game a bit. Maybe I need... <laughs> You're all right today, folks. I'll let Stephen uh, be our preacher. Stephen was loyal to Jesus, even though his life hanged in the balance. And loyalty isn't a word that we seem to use as much nowadays. We see loyalty as the defining characteristic of a dog, or perhaps in, back in the day when jobs lasted a lifetime, we were loyal to a company or an employer. And I don't think it's because we d don't believe in the virtue of loyalty anymore. I just think it's maybe become an old fashioned term that feels a little lost in this generation. I remember when I was quite young, my granny lived with us when I was young and um, she was very upset. She'd come home from Oban on the bus and it was back in the day when we were talking about quick divorce and um, she was really upset because this young couple of, uh, of ladies were talking about you know getting married and, and, and saying well now that you know this quick divorce has come through you know if it doesn't work out we can just get divorced and try again and for my granny that was just heartbreaking marriage was hard work marriage had to be worked at now, neither she nor I have an issue with divorce. My granny has long since passed. But neither she nor I have an issue with divorce. What she struggled with was just this nonchalant kind of attitude about it. You know, if it doesn't work, we'll just get divorced and try again. And I think in some ways, loyalty has become a bit like that. It's kind of got lost in this society of quick fixes and walking away from things. These past weeks, 
We have marked a golden wedding. We've marked a diamond wedding. And congratulations to Douglas and Marjorie who celebrate that. And next year, if I'm really lucky, I'll get my silver award. I mean, it's our silver anniversary <laughs> next year. And it's funny, we still do in marriage, perhaps, measure loyalty, but maybe not so much in other areas. Swearing loyalty to a man gifted a crown simply because of the family he was born into strikes me as bizarre, especially when he holds no power and has little influence. I have nothing against him and I have met him. He is just another human being. I am that person who welcomes the moderator of the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland into her midst, into her midst by using their first name because they are just a colleague. Yet, at the same time, I have a sense of loyalty towards the Church of Scotland. I am grateful to the Church for all she has allowed me to be and to do. Taking a chance on a wee lass from Oban and letting her live out her calling means that I can stand here before you and preach God's word and do all that ministry allows me to do because at my heart of it, all I want people to know is that God loves them and that I pray that they get to meet him. But ultimately, just as King Charles is a human being made of flesh and blood who has to live out the calling that came with his birth, the Church of Scotland is a human institution. It is of God and about God, but it is not God. And that's what I love about Stephen. You see, he's grateful for all that the church has given him. He fulfills his duties over and above what he is asked to do. He is a server, he is a deacon, but he preaches the word and performs miracles. And, you know, he is out there. His ultimate loyalty is not towards the institution of the day, the church of the day, but towards God. And Stephen doesn't die defending the church. I have a fair fear that there are some of us in the Church of Scotland who will def die defending the church rather than defending God. He dies with the name of Jesus on his lips with those words so similar to Jesus on the cross. Forgive them. The psalmist writes, I place myself in your care. You will save me, Lord. You are a faithful God. Yet Stephen dies. To have that level of trust in God, even though you know your life will ebb from you in mere moments, that is true loyalty. Jesus said a good man will lay down his life for his friends. Stephen is known as the first martyr, proto-martyr of the Christian faith. Many of us could not imagine giving up our lives for Christ. We would come up with any number of reasons why we need to live longer. We want to think perhaps that we could, but I think even the current mission planning stuff we are going through, the amount of change and transition in the church we're going through, speaks volumes about actually who or what we are loyal to and what we're willing to give up. One of the things I did love when the Kirk session here at Moncrief were asked what they'd be willing to sacrifice. We're willing to sacrifice everything. The building perhaps was tough because of the amount of work that we've put into it. But they even said that they would share their minister. And for them, that was just who they are. And for me, that was amazing. 
because it's not often you hear that. For many, we cannot give up our buildings, never mind our lives for Christ. If the picture of the assembly trustees has painted is accurate and not scaremongering or a tactical move, we are three or four years of run, uh, away from running out of money to pay our ministers and our staff. And that's sobering and terrifying. Now, I hate how we have gone about this planning process, the amount of damage that has been done, and who knows what we deserve at the end of all of this. And I wish we hadn't thrown out the baby with the bathwater all those years ago. But we do have to ask ourselves as ministers, as congregations, as those who call the shots because they sign the checks, so to speak, we do have to ask ourselves, is our loyalty to a Church of Scotland institution or to God himself? Is the building we call ours, is that where our loyalty is? Is it to the institution of the Church of Scotland? We must have a territorial ministry, we must do this, we must do that, we must whatever defines us as a Church of Scotland. Or is our loyalty first and foremost to Christ? And I pray that I have the ability of Stephen to look up and see Christ and pray, forgive them. And I pray that we might have the grace to come together in East Kilbride and work for and with Christ despite our differences, indeed embracing our differences. I pray that the wonderful global congregation that we have scattered throughout this world from London to down under to wherever, that we, wherever we find ourselves, wherever God has placed us, that we would live out our loyalty to Christ, preaching the good news through word, through action, through attitude. And I pray that like Stephen, we will step into our calling from God. No matter what label anybody gives you, ultimately, our calling is from God. Remember, Steve, before Stephen ended up in the courtroom, he'd lived out the gospel. He'd changed lives. He'd preached the word. He'd performed miracles. He had just been himself following where God was leading. So let's be known for changing the world and get ourselves into trouble with the institution. Let them challenge us about why we're doing what we're doing. And let God's name be preached. Let miracles be performed. Let everybody know that Jesus is alive, that he is risen indeed, and that no matter what is thrown against God's church, his church will survive. So let's not be boxed in by a label or a denomination, but let's live for God and with God. And I love the thought that we might get called up by the institution or taken into the courts of culture because social media is quite uh, a courtroom in its own right these days and that we might have to speak up for why we did. And I pray that we don't miss and hit the wall. And perhaps if we're faithful to Jesus, then we will be welcomed home. And as Paul says, win the race and receive our crown. But do also remember that even when we are faithless, God is faithful. And I definitely would far rather have that crown of the Lord's than have one that is too heavy to sit in my head and will eventually rust away.
So who are we loyal to? What does loyalty look like? Remember, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Not all who call on an earthly king or on a church denomination, but all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Therefore, my allegiance goes to the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I hope that you have enjoyed it and found something helpful for you. 